Turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 by direction of the Holy Ghost. I was going to read another scripture, but during praise and worship, the Lord just dropped this into my spirit. So it's hot off the wire, and here we go. Amen. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. He said, Brother Randy, prophesied to me. I'm going to. This is it. The Word of God's a word of prophecy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 12. The Bible says, fight. Say fight. fight. You're in the wrong business if you're in the Christian business if you don't want to fight. Because this is a fight that we're in, not against God, but against this world system and against every devil and demon. And they are not going to stop me. They are not going to stop you. And they are not going to keep us out of the perfect will of God. Yes, we've been going through hell, but we're not going to stop. We're going to pull it up in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We're not going to sit around and grumble and gripe and complain no more. We're going to get up and we're going to take what God has given unto us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It belongs to you and it belongs to me and I'm going for it in Jesus' name and the devil is not going to take what belongs to me. Glory to God. I told you I'm coming in the power of the Spirit. I met Jesus today. Jesus talked to me today and he told me to talk to you. He's tired of us complaining and talking about this ain't right and that ain't right and I'm going through this and going through that. Shut up in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and start declaring how big God is and what God can do. The devil is not going to win in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What did he say? I can run through the troop and leap over the wall. Listen, I'll run through the troop, run through the doggone wall too. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can, you can sit down if you can. I'm tired of the devil. He said, fight the good fight of faith. If you don't want to fight, you're in the wrong business because faith is a fight because we win this fight. It's a good fight. We overcome in the name of Jesus. Have you ever been challenged? Have you been through tests and trials? What are you going to do? Grumble and gripe and complain and think about how it ain't going to work? No, you're going to fight the good fight of faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to arise and take back what the devil's trying to steal from you. Woo, don't get me stirred up. What was in that ginger? Where is she at? What was in that stuff, that tea? It was in that pot. You told me it was holy water. <laughs> Hallelujah. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. He's talking about laying hold on eternal life, but you have to lay hold on everything that God has for us. The enemy cannot stop it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight. Isn't that what it says? Fight the good fight of faith. There was a naval captain in United States history and our early Navy 
when the United States was just being formed and we were getting our independence from England. A wonderful British brothers. But there was a, a captain, a ship captain. He was very notable and he's remembered all throughout history. And uh, he was a, an American. Of course, nobody in America was from America. <laughs> United States, you know. And uh, let me get news for you. Nobody from Canada is from Canada. <laughs> Where are y'all from? Y'all some from? I mean, we, we come, everybody, we, we, we're something, you know. We came from everywhere. So, but anyway, the navies of Britain and the newly formed United States grabbing its independence, they came against, our, came against us. And of course, they went out to fight with our ships, which was not you know, equipped like the British and didn't have the money the British had and all the guns and, and all the training that they had. But there was an, an American captain of a ship named a man, John Paul Jones. Don't know if you ever heard of John Paul Jones or not. This is a true story. And they were in battle, in a bloody battle. And Britain, the ships of Britain were outnumbering them and winning. In fact, they blowed a hole in the side of Captain John Paul Jones's ship. His men were bloodied. Some of them were laying down on the top of, of the uh, ship where they had been shot because these gun blasts and cannon blasts, they were right side by side. And John Paul Jones's ship was taking on water and it was beginning to sink. And of course, uh, being the uh, British captain, you know, they didn't want to see people die. They, were, they, they, they wanted to save their lives. And so they wanted to give them an opportunity to come aboard their ship. So this British captain jumped on the side of his ship, almost able to touch John Paul Jones' ship. That's how close in battle they were, still firing at one another. And he said to John Paul Jones, my God, man, my God, man, surrender. He said, you're going to die. All your men are going to die and your ship is going to sink. John Paul Jones. Jones jumped up and got the, grabbed a hook to the rope that was holding the sail mask up and stood on the side of that ship and yelled at the British captain and he said, sir, I would have you to know we have not yet begun to fight. And it rallied his men on that ship to such an extent that they whipped all the British and took their ships from them. Because of one man's courage, one man's courage, what will one man and one woman's courage do today? I'm telling you, we got a God this big and we got faith in God. And John Paul Jones was a Christian man and he believed that his God would take care of him. You may have never heard of A.L. Williams. But A.O. Williams took a ragtag bunch of us boys that were nobodies in the football. We was in Kendrick High School. Y'all remember where Kendrick was? <laughs> Off of Univista Road. Y'all know where that was? Columbus, Georgia. But we lost everything. Going to state, to what they call state championship. I mean, we couldn't even make it to the city, you know, <laughs> much less. I mean, if we won two games a year, we had a bonfire so big, you can see it a mile, <laughs> mile, miles away. But they hired a new coach named A.L. Williams, the one in charge has a lot to do with where people go. 
Your attitude has a lot to do with where you're going to go, but it also has a lot to do with where your friends are going to go. Because if you're down and out and you're never positive and you're not believing God, the people you're going to get around you are not going to believe God. But A.L. Williams come in. And I remember the first day he had Coach Landing get us all together. And you done what Coach Landing said do because he had a paddle about three foot long. And he could lift your hiney up off the floor. I seen him big fat football lineman squall when he got through beating them. Yes, they used to beat us, I'm telling you. You call report card day? They called us in to Coach Landing's room. He gave us a room. And buddy, everybody was in fear and trembling. Because if you didn't make the grade, he whooped your rear end right there. Yes. Wow. So we don't believe in whooping people today. I know, look at the mess you got too. I don't believe in abusing people. But we had to obey back then or they killed us. I mean, that's the way it was. <laughs> that's just the way it was. You didn't talk back back then. I mean, if you talk back to my daddy, you'd wake up in the next county maybe two weeks later. I'm, that's just the way it went. That was over. I mean, that's the way it went. But, you know, things are different. But A.L. Williams come in. He had Coach Landon gather us all in. Went into the gym of Kendrick High School. It was a new school, but we couldn't win anything, you know, football-wise, foot basketball. But A.L. Williams took over the football team. And he come in and he gave us a, a talk. By the time that he got through talking to us, he convinced this ragtag bunch of boys that we was going to the state championship that year and that we was going to take the state championship. Now, this is something he did. And uh, he was a Christian man, but not what, you know, like we believe, but he was a Christian man. And he had this banner printed up. And over the locker room where we would go in to dress out and put on our pads and everything, go out to, he'd have had this banner up there. And he had assigned Coach Landing. So when we come out of classes to go in to dress out, to go out for football practice, we'd have to say what was over that, on that banner. Because back then we didn't know what we was doing. And this banner said, a winner never quits and a quitter never wins. I am a winner. I mean, he made us boldly say that. And Coach Landon was there with that three-foot paddle. You could say it bold whether you wanted to or not. And we would say it going in and we would say it going out. A winner never quits and a quitter never wins. And I am a winner. You're not, that means you're not going to quit. Then he'd get out there and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice with us at Kendrick High School. I started off as a tight end and they moved me to tackle. And then I got to where I could actually kick the football better than the guy. I mean, for field goals and extra points, better than the guy that was trained to do it. They discovered that by mistake. Because one day, the guy that was doing the holding for the, for the kicker, he was out. His name was Robert Duke. Y'all remember Robert Duke, don't you? He lived in Duke's trailer court. Y'all remember where it was right off of his daddy and mama owned Duke's trailer court. There's a lot of trailers there, you know. And uh, he lived in Duke's trailer court. His name was uh, Robert Duke. And so he went out, and he was a little old fella, so they couldn't put him into the football line because he'd get killed. You know? <laughs> That's the way it was. 
them boys there that was playing at Kendrick, they'd eat a lot of biscuits, you know what I mean? And, and black-eyed peas and pork chops and, and turnip greens and things. So, I mean, they could tote the note and carry you at the same time. I mean, that's the way it was. So Robert Duke couldn't get out there. So Robert wasn't there. And Coach Landon said, Randy. I said, yes, sir. That's what you did, sir. You said, yes, sir. He said, go out there and hold that ball. He said, you, you you're, live across the street from Robert, and I'm sure you and him have played football together. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> so I went out there, and of course, I'm holding the ball for this kicker, you know. And then Coach Landon hauled, hollered at me. He said, Randy, he said, can you kick that ball? I said, yes, sir. I had never done it. <laughs> But I said, yes, sir, because that's the way you answered him, you know. And he would run us about three miles every day. I'm talking about run, too, up, down hills, around the school. I mean, he'd have us singing songs and all that kind of stuff. Anybody ever been in the armed forces divisions before? Well, down in, in, the, in the United States, uh, when they're training the troops, when they first come into their uh, new training, they'll get them out there about 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning and make them happy where they want to be at night. And they'll sing slot. Jody's got your gallon gone. Ain't no use in going home. One, two, three, four. <laughs> they made them happy. You can go out there at 3, 34 o'clock in the morning. They'd be happy because the drill sergeant made sure they were happy. So I just reared back and I got me a start and I kicked that ball and that thing went way out there. And I thought, my Lord, it didn't hit the goal, but it went a long ways. And Coach Landon told the guy that was kicking, you hold the ball for him. <laughs> and that's how I become the extra point kicker. It was by mistake. <laughs> because I could do it. Now they do what they call gogolak kicking. If you'll notice a lot of these, even in the professional football games, you know, when we, I'm not talking about soccer. I'm talking about American football, you know. If you notice some of the games were lost there, because guys were doing what they call the sidekick. We call it the gogolak kick down there in old timers because they come from an angle. Instead of lining straight up, they come like this and then they have to turn in and do the kick. Well, that's good, but you've got to hit that ball just right. And if you're way out 40, 50 yards, I mean, this, you've got to be pretty well on it. But us boys back in high school then, we didn't do anything. And I'm telling you, we were kicking it as far as the pros do today. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you I mean half a football field almost and just straight legs because Coach Landon would beat your rear end he expects you to work out weight room and all this kind of stuff so when they're doing that side kick some call it goglack kick we called it uh, running from the side then lining up straight to kick it if they get just a little ball if you'll go back and see some of the main football games in the playoffs they were lost because uh, the kicker not kicking the ball correctly and it wasn't because he wasn't a good kicker but when he's nervous and a lot of things are going on you've got these 300 pound linebackers coming at you you know trying to kill you yes I said kill you <laughs> then you get nervous but anyway here I am and A.O. Williams took this ragtag team and he would work with us and work with us and work with us and work with us. And he had a brother. And, and his brother started the high school there, younger brother, a lot younger than him. And uh, 
he was good at uh, throwing the football. Even though he was little, he had big old hands and he could put it around that football and he could sling it. And then we had a guy named Donald Bird. He was a brother. Now, his, that was his real name, but he was a bird. That boy could fly. And he had thighs. I mean, he could just knock you down when you went through there. I mean, you had to body slam him. You couldn't tackle him, but nobody could. If you ever get him the ball, he's gone. And here we started tramping up through the ranks, through our region, then got up to the city, then got up to the county, then got up to the region. Then all of a sudden, here we are, we're going to the state championship, had never done that before, never won over two games in one year prior to A.L. Williams getting there, but every day he would give us a speech and tell us how good we were and how you could accomplish this and how you can do this. If you will not quit, boys, I'll take you to the state championship. And I'm here to tell you, if you won't quit, God will take you wherever you want to go. If you won't give up, if you won't give in, if you won't throw in the towel, God will take you where you want to go. God's not going to hold you back. So we got up to the state championship and we started playing the best team in the state, the best team, the highest ranked team with statistics and everything. We got up and it came down to one field goal that we lost by because the clock run out. We always say that. <laughs> if we had just had time, we would have won that game. And that's exactly what coach A.L. Williams come into the locker room because we were depressed because we'd been winning. And here we are meeting the best boys in the whole state and we lost and we weren't used to losing. So there was a lot of fat, fast, uh, uh, I mean, faces that were sad and depressed. But A.L. Williams come in there and said, boys, he said, you're champions. He said, look from where you came from. He said, have you ever won this many games before? Well, no, we hadn't. He said, well, look where you're at. He said, you hadn't failed. You've accomplished something that no other school in the state has ever done. No school has ever went from winning two games for years to winning, playing in the state championship. He said, boys, next year, we're going to win the state. <laughs> he made us believe. That's what the word of God is for to get you to believe. If you'll believe this word, there's nothing impossible to you. There's nothing that you can't have. There's nothing that you can't obtain. So the next year, here we go. I mean, this got so exciting in this football that my daddy, you know, he was a, a, a real, what you'd call Pentecostal, but he was religious, you know. And he didn't think you ought to do anything, you know. But he got so excited Everybody did, the whole community, because Kendrick High School was winning, was winning. It gave people new life. And even my daddy started to go into the football games. You know he got saved. I mean, he did. My daddy started going. And I would see him. He would start, I'd see him from the, I'd be on the field and I'd see him up in the bleachers watch. He'd be yelling and screaming and waving his hands. Just like he'd lost his salvation or something. My God. <laughs> he was cheering us on. And you could hear him holler, run, Donald, run, run, Donald. Because I could hear my daddy's voice out of everybody's voice. Run, Donald. 
That was the, the fullback, you know. And that boy, you give him the ball, he was like a steam plow going down that field. We got next year, we played all the way up to the state championship. When we got to the state championship, we won the state championship the next year by 14 points against the best team that there was in the state of Georgia because why? We believed that we could. And we knew that a winner never quits and a quitter will never win. And so that's why we're not quitters, we're winners. And it applies to you today in Christianity. Do not quit believing God. Some of you have laid aside your beliefs. You laid aside your dreams. You've laid aside your hopes. You laid aside your beliefs and it's time to get up and take them again and fight the good fight of faith because that's what's going to put you over. You are not a failure. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and you are not beneath. And the devil is underneath your feet in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine. I was going to title this. I don't know if I gave it a title. To him that believeth. All things are possible to him that believeth. And believing denotes action. Reverend Smith Wigglesworth used to say it this way. Faith is an act. Faith is an act. Faith is not passive. It is action. You're actively pursuing something with your faith based on the word of God. Here we're going to see the words of Jesus. And what Jesus told this man about his little son. But he said here in the verse number 17 of Mark chapter 9, we'll start there. It says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, Jesus had come to where his disciples were, and uh, they were there. And he said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnashes with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. They could not. Notice they say they could not. You can say they, they could not. Say that. They could not. they could not. So who is this? The disciples of Jesus. They could not. And so Jesus responded this way. Verse 19. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Jesus did not shy away from a good fight. Jesus did not sidestep the situation. Jesus didn't put it off to the mar. Jesus didn't say, go call the counselor. Jesus said, bring him here. We'll solve this problem. Do you know that you are a problem solver? I'm telling you, you can solve problems and I'm talking about not in and of yourself, but through the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost that's inside of you, you can solve problems of this fallen world and people that need help and you can even solve your problems with the help of the Holy Ghost. You can do it. He said, bring him here. 
And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tore him, this little boy, and the spirit caused him to fall down on the ground while he was foaming at the mouth. I've seen this happen on many occasions. And he asked his father, Jesus did, how long is it ago since this came to him? How long has this happened? And he said of a child, in other words, since he was a little child, this boy has had this problem. And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to do what? To destroy him. What does the devil come to do? Kill, steal, and destroy. But notice this, is Jesus is not moved by any of this. He said, if thou canst do anything, the man said to Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, what did he tell him? If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Ladies and gentlemen, those same words that Jesus spoke to this man about his son is the words that belong to you and to me today. To him that believeth, all things are possible. There is nothing impossible to you. 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 It is not, it is not, you shouldn't even let it in your vocabulary. Now our brain set limitations on how far we go because I've had to deal with my brain. But I'm telling you, I about got out of the box now. In fact, I was telling somebody, it might have been my son uh, a while back, you better hold me back. Because I'm about lost my mind. I, I'm just got to the point here that I don't believe nothing's impossible. I, I took a step of faith when I bought that 421, but I'm telling you, that premier is real close. I'm telling you. Yeah. Pastor Craig can give you the revelation of that. That premier is real close. And it's not uh, about things. It's about change in me. Sometimes God uses natural things to bring your faith to a level so you can help more people than you ever helped before. He'll do that. He'll get you where you can believe for things for yourself, where you can believe things for others too. And you'll begin to believe that nothing's impossible for them just like it wasn't for me. And you'll be a lot more effective as a minister of the gospel when you get that way. And we're all headed that way. We're all on different levels, but we're headed that way. Isn't that right? Then that believeth, oh, he said, all things are possible. And straightway the father of the child cried out, verse 24, and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, he said, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. Notice Jesus said, Come out, but don't go back either. I made that mistake one time because I didn't know any better. I didn't I tell the thing to go and it went, but it came back. But I, I learned, the Lord taught me. And then Brother Hagin helped me in the situation and got me through it. Verse 26, and the spirit cried, the spirit did, the spirit, who did? The spirit, not the boy, the spirit. The spirit was using his voice. Cried and rent him sore and came out of him and he was as one dead, this boy, because he had been through so much torment. Insomuch that many said he is dead. But it didn't bother Jesus. It didn't concern Jesus. Jesus wouldn't shock. What did Jesus do? Verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And what happened? The little boy arose and he got up. Isn't that right? To him that believeth, all things are 
possible. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I'm speaking. You said, Brother Randy, prophesied to us. I'm prophesying. I'm speaking by the Spirit of God. This is a message fresh from heaven. It didn't come from man. It didn't come from me. It didn't just come from my specific studies, even though I've read the Bible and been praying all afternoon and uh, early evening about this because the Lord began to talk to me about it. But still, it comes from the Lord. Amen. Amen. Verse number nine, Galatians chapter six. Is that where I told you? Galatians chapter six. It says this, and let us not be weary, which means don't quit, don't give up, Don't throw in the towel. Don't say this is not working. Don't say this is not coming to pass. Don't say that things are looking bleak. Don't say that things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, He said, let us not be weary in well-doing. You keep the right confession. You keep believing God. And I'm telling you what's going to happen here. For in due season, and there may be a season of testing trials, but in due season, we will reap. If we faint not, do not faint, do not quit, do not give up. Uh, And if you have to, I mean, whatever they call it, what do they do when they do something? Anyway, channel John Paul Jones. (laughs) Maybe that's not the right way to say it. But John Paul Jones, act like he acted. Jump on the side of your ship. Jump on the side of your ship. Is that the way to say it? Jump on the side of your ship and act like John Paul Jones. And I know some of y'all ships got holes in them. I know y'all taking on water. I know that you're about to sink. I know it looks like you're about to go under, but you jump up on the side of that ship and you grab that rope that's holding that mask and you tell the devil, I have not yet begun to fight. And I'm here to tell you, if you'll develop that mentality inside of you, not a quitting attitude, not a giving up attitude, not a complaining attitude, but an attitude is, if you want to fight the fight of faith, here you go. I'm going to be right here when the morning comes. I'll be right here and I ain't going to run. Woo! I'm going to be here. I'm not going to let the devil stop me. I'm going to accomplish what God said to me. Because I remember April the 5th, 1984. I turned 30 years old that day. I'd been fasting and praying. I'd been seeking God. And I was standing outside of there and suddenly the heavens seemed to open over me and an anointing came upon me. And he said, I'm anointing you today to begin to, in, begin to enter into the ministry that I have called you to. And he said, nations and countries shall be changed. My God, I'm going to see nations and countries changed for the glory of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to take as many people to heaven with me as I absolutely can. And I'm not going to let the devil stop me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he wants me to quit. He wants me to give up. He wants me to just be the status quo. Don't rock the boat. Well, I'm going to rock the boat. I'm going to shake the boat. I'm telling you, I'm going to be like Jerry Lee Lewis. There's a a whole lot of shaking going on. My God. Going to shake it. Because I'm going to accomplish God's will. When I say that, take it the right way. With the help of God. You know, when I say I, I mean God, first of all. But you've got to have that kind of attitude. You've got to have that kind of mentality. 
You cannot have a quitting mentality, a giving up mentality, a feigning mentality and receive from God on a consistent basis. You got to consistently stay up on the positive side and just look the devil right between the eyes and say in the name of Jesus, get out of my way and get thee behind me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I believe it is. Paul said this, because this brings and incorporates exactly what I've been trying to say, that I'm not doing this on my own. And it's not just a positive thinking. This is God thinking. And there's a difference between positive mental thinking and God thinking with a positive mind on God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number three. He said, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Why? Because the weapons of our warfare, notice warfare, that denotes a fight. Isn't that right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not human. They're not of man. These are of heaven. Our warfare comes from heaven. But they're mighty through God to the what? Pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. He said, cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to, to the obedience of Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, I learned to do that back years ago because I was in prison. I was locked in a cage like an animal because I deserved to be there because I acted like an animal. And I always tell people right up front, God did not put me in prison. The devil did not put me in prison. And the greatest shock of them all is the law enforcement officials did not put me in prison. So your question is, how in the world did you get there then? I put my own self there because first of all, I disobeyed the laws of God. And secondly, I disobeyed the laws of the land. So they took me and demoralized me because I put myself in that position and I was locked in a cage like an animal. I have been in solitary confinement. I don't know if you know what that is. At one time I was in solitary confinement where I did not see daylight and I had a piece of bread and one cup of water every day for 60 days and I'm still alive. It would, I, I need to put some of you in that same place. But anyway... <laughs> Now, the reason I got there is because of my old stinking attitude. Because I was rebellious. I was rebellious even after I was arrested. Listen, I got arrested in prison while I was already in prison. I mean, it, it takes something to get arrested while you're already arrested. I did. I committed five felony crimes after I was already arrested and in prison. By escaping, leaping tall buildings with single bounds, outrunning speeding bullets, uh, stopping locomotive with one hand, 
We got footage of it. CBN Christian Broadcasting Network done a, a, a thing on my life story. Not a whole movie or nothing. I had people contact me about it, but you know why I didn't do it? Because the Lord told me not to. You know why? Because they were going to make all the money and I wasn't going to get nothing. I mean, I'd get a few chips here and there, you know, royalties. You know what I mean? And I also had very little say-so on how it went. And what they do in the movies, most of all the time, is they ad lib and put in stuff that ain't true. And I wouldn't go for it. They had the whole script written and everything about it. And I said, no, that's not right. That's not right. This is not right. Well, you got to have that for movies. I said, well, no, not mine. No. But anyway, it, it come down to that. And the Lord praying about it said, don't do it. But they actually done it. And they've got pictures of, of jumping out of a two-story building. I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. I did it. I fell two stories and broke bones in my right foot and I ran 14 miles with a broke foot. Listen, I was escaping man. You know what I mean? And I was concerned when I jumped out, running and leaped out of this building. I didn't know if one of the convicts in there, you used to call us convicts. Now you're inmates and residents and all that. But back then, <laughs> back then you was a convict, you know. I didn't know if a, the convicts had told them or not. And so when I went out and I had to clear this electrified fence that was 10 foot out from where I was at. And if I hit that fence, I would be electrocuted. So I leaped as hard as I could. I mean, Wiley Coyote didn't have nothing on me. I mean... <laughs> I hit this door out of this hallway because there was no way down. They didn't think nobody would go down and nobody in their right mind would ever try it. But I was headed to prison for the rest of my life and I thought, what have I got to lose? So here I go. And so when I went sailing out through the air, I closed my eyes because I was assuming that the officers would be down there with machine guns and they shoot me down, you know, coming out of the sky. But when I hit the ground, uh, you know, I hit so hard by clearing this fence that it broke the bones in my right foot and I rolled and I got up and started hobbling off and I made it to some woods close by. And then I started traveling through those woods. A winter never quits and a quitter never quits. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, maybe it'll have an analogy to do with the word. And I went through these woods and everything, you know, and it was dark. You couldn't see anything. And this is down in, in, in Alabama, you know, and they had some alligators and water, water moccasins, real big ones. I mean, the, them nice ones that could wrap around you, you know, and all kinds of stuff. And I would go sloshing and fall in them ponds and go across them trying to swim. And you can swim fast when you think a water moccasin is after you, you know. And I'd get to the other side and I finally got and I run into this barbed wire fence and I could feel of it and it had about five strands of barbed wire. So I had to thought and I got to look and I heard some cows are mooing and carrying on, you know. So I thought, well, I'm soaking sopping wet, you know. So I got my foot on the first strand and on the second, you know, and I threw my right leg over the other side of the fence. And I'm here to tell you, I connected. <laughs> That fence on the other side had two strands of electric fence because they had some big bulls I found out later in there and I was wet so I grounded out real good. Do you know what I mean? I was a shaking and the cows were mooing. I'm here to tell you. And I was having me a shaking party but a winner never quits and a quitter never wins. I'm telling you, I didn't quit. I got to knocking and shaking and finally I fell over in the cow pasture. 
and I learned me a lesson. I'm not going to throw my leg over a fence in the dark no more. <laughs> and I'm going to go on. And I hobbled 14 miles in that condition till I got somebody to come pick me up and take me away from there. But I went back to prison and I was locked in the cage like an animal because why I was an animal. I was rebellious. I was against everything. When I got back off of this series of events, I escaped three times. I figured Jesus, it took him three days to rise, so it took me two. <laughs> so my third escape, you know. To him that believeth, all things are possible. I've always been a believer. It's always, it's born in me. I don't know. I'll tell you, can I tell on myself? Yes. Sometimes I'll get to crying. A holy cry. I said, there's something big in me. There's something big. It's God. It's for the world. It's inside of me. God, help me bring this out of here. Lord, help me get this out of here. Because I know it's not just me. But you know, every one of us have that call inside of us to a degree. That God's got something in you that's a lot bigger than you are. So when I got back after this third escape, third day he rose. Well, they wanted to examine me to find out what made me tick and what kind of uh, hardware or software had got messed up in my development. So they called me into the psychologist's office and uh, they were doing then an evaluation of me, what they call mental evaluation by a trained, skilled psychologist. And they had brought the psychologist in and uh, to see if they could help me, you know. And so I'm looking, you know, and, and this, it was a lady, you know, a very petite lady. And I was thinking, well, what are you doing in this Mac security prison? And of course, I look and the guard is standing right there ready to beat me in the head with a billy club. And I don't blame him if I were to move, you know. And so uh, she starts asking me questions and all this stuff. And then she said, uh, and asked me all kinds of stuff, you know. And I thought, well, what's she writing in that thing over there? There was a, a file folder about this thick. It's about an inch into inch and a half, probably about that thick. And it was green. Green means go. So, I mean, this is escape again. You know, we can go, but we can get out the door right here. Green means go. Isn't that right? The traffic signal. But you know what I notice about most people in Canada and the United States, when they come to a green light, they slow down. Come to a red light, they go. <laughs> Do you notice that? Do you notice that? Oh, we have it down in the United States too. You know what I'm hollering about? Them? Go, go, dummy. The light's green. We're not just stopping the green light. Hey, it's red. You better stop being, you know. <laughs> thinking, you know, you're thinking. But here I am and I'm sitting in there. And I wonder what in the world is she writing? I mean, she's asking me all kinds of questions about my childhood and the friends coming up, and drug and alcohol abuse, and you couldn't lie about it. It was all in my record, you know. And so she wrote these large words across there, and I didn't know what it meant. And so the officer went out to escort her to go and talk to the captain about something. I don't know what. And, and he told me, you just wait right here. Well, I was sat there, and I looked around. I didn't see any cameras. This is back in the days. I didn't have all the security cameras I got now. And so she wasn't there, so I tiptoed up. 
And I tried to look at that, that folder she had laid over there. And in orange letters, diagonally across it, it was, they were, they're not an inch, but maybe three-quarter inch tall, I had this big, long word. And I had never heard of it in my life. I didn't know how to spell it or anything. I'd never seen it. I didn't know what it meant. And I thought, what is that? Well, she came back in and said, it was good talking to you and everything. We may have another session at a later day, but this is it. So as soon, I just remembered those letters. I'm going, I'm going to the law library because the law library had the biggest dictionary I had ever seen in my life. And I knew that big old word couldn't be in no little old book because it was a long word, you know. So I went in there and started looking through this dictionary and we had one of those wizards, geniuses in there, you know. There's a lot of people that's very smart and intelligent in prison. A lot of skilled people in prison. They just got on the wrong path, I'm just telling you. So the law library clerk, I told him, and I was trying to describe this word, and I spelled out a few words and all that. And he said, who was it? I said, I seen it on my jacket. He said, I know what it is. He said, come over here. And he got the dictionary turned down there, and he turned there. He said, you see that word right there? I said, yes. I said, how do you pronounce it? He said, you pronounce it by incorrigible. I said, what does that mean? He said, it means unable to be helped. <laughs> it means unable to be helped. But let me tell you something. When the world threw me away, when the world said there was no hope, when the world said it was over, when the world said I could not come up out of there, when they called me incorrigible, Jesus said you can do all things through Christ who strengthened you. And he called me out of there. And that's the same God you serve. The world might have thrown us away, but God picks us up. And that's exactly what he done for me. They throwed me away, but I got up. And my God, I've been climbing up ever since. Do you know it's impossible? Impossible means not possible to be where I'm at today with a background the world says I got to, but that background the world gave me is not the background God gave me because my background is in Christ and it's not in this world. And I am not a failure and I am not incorrigible. I am obedient and I obey the laws of the land as much as practical. But anyway... Hey, listen, I'm just following Pastor Craig's all on my God. I'm just following him. He's a lead me and guide me. The blind lead the blind, they'll both follow. <laughs> my God, we do our best though. We give it a good shot. But I want to point out to you the world had thrown me away. And I'm not blaming nobody or nothing. Because what they done was absolutely right to the man that had done that. But I was became, and I was, eventually became a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things passed away and all things become new. I was totally set free by the power and by the anointing of God. If I could put anything across to you tonight to get you to do is to change your way of thinking. Change your way of believing. Get into the Word of God. Meditate on His Word. 
because they come for the time. This is a good illustration of how a true life story that I've told before, but it fits right here, of how I really learned to develop this in my life. And that's, it doesn't mean now that I have, I've arrived because I hadn't. I was in a room one time, in a private room with Dad Hagen and some other ministers. And one of the ministers asked Dad Hagen a question. And he said to him, he said, Dad, he said, uh, do you ever get to a place in life, because he's older in years, you know, in ministry, do you ever get to a place in life or your ministry where you don't have to use your faith? That the battle, you know, there's no more battle. And of course, everybody's listening now, you know. <laughs> we want to slide in. Nobody's talking. The crackers are down. Nobody's slurping the juice, you know. <laughs> They're listening. And we're waiting. And he said, he said, boys, if there is such a place where you don't have to use your faith and don't have to overcome, he said, I've never found it. He said, as long as you live in this life, you're going to walk by faith and not by sight. And you're going to have opposition, but God is going to bring you through it to every single time. And of course, by then, all of us wanted to quit. <laughs> Because we was looking for the Hawaii or the Caribbean or the European vacation, you know. Yeah. Africa. No bugs. No, no. But we was looking for something where you just skate through life. You've signed up in the wrong department. You better go back and look at the door. You've signed up for Christianity. Christianity says fight the good fight of faith. Don't be weary in well-doing. Because you become a Christian doesn't mean you're going to have no challenges. But it means that God's going to bring you through every one of them. Amen. I heard Dad Hagen say this before, and I know that some of you had. I know Reverend Lekedic has, and maybe Pastor Craig, and some others. He talked about things that he went through, hardships that he went through, <clears throat> and tough times that he went through. And he made this statement. He said, you couldn't pay me a million dollars to go back. And that was a lot of money in these days. You remember going back in there. A million dollars to go back through them. He said, but on the other side, he said, I wouldn't take a million dollars for the experience. Because it was in those tough times where I grew the most. It was in those challenging times. So I got closer to God than I'd ever been before in my life. You know, the reason you don't pray more than you do, because you don't have to. This is what the Lord said to me one time. He said, people in the world, if they don't pray now, are going to be forced to pray one day and it's going to be almost too late. Yeah. A lot of people wait to pray until they have to, till they're forced to, till the world's pressures on them. The problem is so gigantic, there's no other way out. We should pray in advance before the problem gets there. So, here I am in prison. I'm serving God, born again, spirit-filled. I got spirit-filled in a prison chapel by seeking God. I was on the second row. Y'all remember on the end seat? Y'all remember I had a little row of pews down there? And I was sitting by where this gentleman's sitting right here would be the seat I was sitting in. And this, uh, I'd been seeking the Lord about the baptism of the Holy Ghost because and, and, uh, I'd seen it in the Bible in Acts chapter 2. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. 
and I fasted for three days without water or food and my skin got dry. And old Don Duncan, y'all remember him? He slept beside me. He had a lot of sense. Good Baptist boy, we had a lot of sense. And he told me, he said, Brother Randy, he said, you better drink something or, or something because you, you, your, your skin's getting flaky like a snake. And I hadn't really paid no attention to it, you know. And I thought that was, I could talk God and give me the Holy Ghost. But anyway, what happened is somebody round, round up and I got the book, How to Receive the, the Holy Ghost by Brother Hagin. They wrote a little mini book, How to Receive the Holy Spirit. And boy, I had it then. I realized I'd been asking God to give it to me and I had to receive it. So I went to the prison chapel on a Sunday morning. A preacher got up from Free World. Free World is somebody that's not a convict coming in to speak to us. Y'all know what Free World. See, whether you know it or not, you are in the Free World tonight. If you was behind bars, you would be incarcerated or you would be a convict. So you live in the Free World. So act like you're free. Just act like it. You're not locked up. You know what I mean? So this gentleman got up and he started speaking these languages. He was from an American missionary that lived in another country, but he was an American. And he just come back and he come in with another minister and he was just going to share with us that day. And he got up and started speaking in these languages that I'd never heard before. And I thought he was just demonstrating how many dialects or languages he could speak in. And then he started speaking in English. He said, I perceive in my spirit there's at least one or maybe more that's been seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He said, the Lord told me to tell you, you don't seek him anymore, you receive him. I heard somebody else speaking in tongues, looked around, it was me. I was standing to my feet and it's like a butter churn going off inside of my belly and tears running down my cheek and I was praying in other tongues as fast as a shotgun or a machine gun could shoot. And I was baptized in water by Chaplain Henry Smith. Y'all remember him? And that portable baptismal pool, it was too big for old long-legged fellow like me and it bounced water all in the floor. I mean, it washed away my sins and washed away the floor too. <laughs> but I sought the Lord and I became the convict pastor. And then I got a letter saying that uh, from backed up by the, I actually got an interview for parole, which is rare because they told me I would get out in the, Month of none, that's what I'm fixing to tell you about. And so I went and talked to the parole person. They come there at the prison. That's where they're going to let you out before, the, you know, the end of your sentence, which I, they had uh, told me before when they sentenced me, they wouldn't none, you know. So I was shocked that I got it. So I went and they asked you all kinds of questions, you know, and he said, well, you'll get a, a letter back within, I think it was on a Monday, you'll get a letter back within a week because we was right there in the Montgomery area, Alabama area, where I was in prison, Elmore County. I know where Elmore County is. You get on Interstate 65, go north out of uh, uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and you'll go about uh, 12, maybe 8 miles, 8 to 12 miles, and you'll turn right at a sign that says Elmore, E-L-M-O-R-E. <laughs> and you turn right out in Elmore, you'll be in Elmore County, Alabama. And you go down that way and you'll come to a prison on the right and you'll think that's where I was at, but that's not the one I was in. They had me one down there where the booger man was, you know. You'll come to Draper Prison. That's Draper Correctional Center. And, and then they put me in the one behind it, you know. So I was in the other prison behind there. And so I got the letter from the Alabama State Pardon and Parole Board, which is backed up by the governor of the state. And uh, I opened this letter up and it, and it said, you'll be considered for release on parole in the month of none. And then it had about eight reasons why failure to respond to rehabilitation. Leaping tall buildings with single bounds. <laughs> Outrunning speeding bullets. No, 
um, you know what I mean? But all kinds of things. And you know what? Everything they said was true. And down at the bottom of the letter, it said, furthermore, you'll be reconsidered in the future for release on parole in the month of none. Well, I got excited and I went and found me a calendar and I looked and I found January through December, but I have not located that month of none yet. I was over in England and looked on their calendar. They didn't have one. I was over in Paris, France, and they didn't have one. I was over in Israel and they didn't have one. I was up here in Canada and y'all didn't have one. Finally don't. I mean, they're telling me I ain't getting out of here. So what did I do? I could quit and I could throw in the towel. Or I could pull a John Paul Jones. And that's what I did. I stepped up on the side of that ship and I grabbed that rope that held that mast, being God in the Holy Ghost, and I said within myself, I have not yet begun to fight. I'm coming up out of here. I know it's impossible to change the law, to change the rule, and me go out, but the things that be impossible with men are possible with God. So I went out in the prison yard and I showed that letter to God like he needed to read it or something. He told me, I did not put you in that prison. You put your own self there because you disobeyed the laws of the land and you disobeyed me. He said, now, if you'll obey my word, John 15, 7, which says, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. He said, if you'll obey that, he said, you'll walk out these prison gates. He said, if you don't, you won't. I said, Lord, what do I do? He said, it says if my words abide in you. He said, you don't have one of my scriptures inside of you to the point that it brings a belief system in you, in your heart, nor in your head that you believe that you're going to get out of here. And I examined myself and he was right. Don't argue with the Lord. He knows what he's doing. I said, Lord, what do I do? He said, write these scriptures down. So I went out in the the prison uh, maintenance shop. I was on that crew. I was an electrician there. I could do all kind of mechanical stuff, electrical stuff. So they had me out there doing that. So I sat down on that old tube of tin bench. You know how to make a bench out of a tube of tin? Put legs up under it, cut a little fork out of it, and put a 45 brace. My friend does. He he knows how to do it. He'll show y'all. So that was my sofa. So I sat down on the sofa, this old tube of tin bench. And I got my little old red and white, uh, red New Testament, red, it, actually it was New Testament with old and new in it. It would fit in my pocket. And I started writing down these scriptures the Lord would give me. There's about eight or nine of them. And then he said, walk this yard and read these uh, scriptures out loud to yourself. And so I knew that's what I should do. So I took off, remember? And I started walking that prison yard. I walked down to the one corner, you know, I was walking south. Y'all remember when I come out of the administration building? I was walking south. And when I get south, then I turn back and I'd go east. And you remember, there's a guard tower up here and a guard tower down there. And they done that so I couldn't take another early parole. You know what I mean? <laughs> they didn't want me to take it early. You know. In fact, when we used to hear the train whistles, because you could hear them at a distance. You know what all the convicts would say? There's my early parole. In other words, if you can catch that train, you out of here, boy. You might get killed trying to catch it, but if you can catch it, you're out of here. We call it a train early parole. Woo! Hey, I watched, I ain't got time to tell you all these stories, but I watched 10 guys cut the fence one day while the dogs that would kill you was in the dog race outside this fence, and there's another fence out there. And they had tricked them dogs that would kill you with Milky Way candy bars. (laughs) 
and they had them dogs in the key is down here and they was feeding them Milky Way candy bars while 10 of my friends took some wire cutters that they got out of the tag. They used to make car tags at this prison. I don't know how they do y'all up here, but anyway, and they got stolen things and cut that fence and they had dressed up in uniforms like they was going out with a guard and a guy had stole a guard's uniform out of the laundry in prison and they all walked out while the guard towers are right here and they're focusing on them dogs and they're hollering them boys, leave them dogs alone and they're feeding them Milky Way candy bars. And they cut the fence, one guy did, went through and cut the other fence and they all walked out and they usually carried about a 10 men squads and the guard made 11. And so they got outside the fence and the guy was walking that squad just in a straight line towards the woods. And a guard come out of the door inside and he recognized one of the guy's faces. And he hollered at him up there, hey, they're escaping. <laughs> so what was you doing? I was praying they wouldn't get killed. Mike, <laughs> don't let them get killed. And they shot at him. They didn't get killed, but every one of them got caught because they was right there on them, you know. It took some of them that was later that evening because they had dogs and all that to chase them down. But anyway, let me get you back in the other prison. I didn't get you escaping too much. The third day he rose. So I walked that prison yard and read them scriptures out loud to myself over and over. It was impossible. It was impossible. My mind told me it was impossible. I said, my mind told me it was impossible. Even though I'd read those scriptures, my head would tell me this ain't gonna work. This ain't gonna work. You cannot be led by your head. You can't go by your thinking. You gotta change your thinking with the word of God. And I just kept saying it and kept saying it till I memorized it. I kept saying it and kept saying it and kept saying it. I'd done it for an hour, absolutely nothing happened. I kept a going. Another two hours, nothing happened, but just kept a going. I'd get a sip of water every now and then. I just kept a going. I didn't memorize them. After about two and a half, no more than three hours, suddenly out there, the light of God sprang up inside of me and faith cometh by hearing and faith came. And I stood on that yard and I've raised my hand and I said, I declare by heaven itself, by the written word of God, and I serve notice on you, Father. I serve notice on you, Jesus. I serve notice on the Holy Ghost that I believe you now and devil, I serve notice on you that you're not going to keep me in here. And I turned to the prison gate and I prophesied to it, the one I was going to have to go out of. And I said to that gate, hear me, O ye gate. I said, in Jesus' name, you're going to open and I'm going to go out of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of what it looks like. I'm going out of here. I was not going to faint. I was going to stand on the word of God. And I stood. That was the first week of uh, May of 1984. I went through all of May, went through all of June, went through July. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. And you're talking about thoughts of doubt. They would come faster than a machine gun bullet. But what I'd done is I fought those thoughts with the word of God and I stayed on it. I stayed on it. I stayed on it. I stayed on it. In the latter part of August of 1984, here come Captain Felton Crumpton. He was over the, all the officers. They had three shifts of officers. He was over all of them. And here he come out in the recreation yards, about 800 of us out there doing different things, you know. And I was kind of over in one corner. He was looking for people everywhere. And finally, about uh, 25, 30 feet from me, it just, I just knew in my spirit, he's looking for me. I said, Captain Crumpton? He said, yes. I said, are you looking for me? He said, yes. 
So he come bouncing over there. He said, you're not going to believe it, son. I said, believe what, sir? He said, you're not going to believe it. I said, believe what, sir? He said, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. I said, sir, give me a shot at it. They called me a believer. He said, your parole papers are up there on my desk. And he said, you're going home Monday morning, son. You're going home. He said, we've done called the state. We didn't call the pardoning parole board. And he said, it's not a mistake. Uh, he said, who do you know, son? I said, I know Jesus, Captain. I know Jesus. And I remember on that Monday morning, I met the captain up there because he came in personally to escort me out. They gave me a suit that didn't fit, a shirt that was too big, a pair of shoes like a ply mule in, and I got a $30 check. And I would have got a bus ticket home, but my mama come to get me. She drove over there. When she drove over that prison, they wouldn't let her come but so far because when we called her, I had the captain call her because we had to get my way home, you know. And so the captain gave me permission to use this phone on the desk, which convicts can't do. He said, dial your mama and call her. I called mama. I said, Mama, I'm coming home. You've escaped again. My God. <laughs> she knew I wasn't supposed to be on the phone, you know. Not this time of day. You escaped again. I said, no, Mama, I'm coming home. Oh, don't lie to me, Randy. I don't know. I know you love God. You were serving God. How'd you get in this mess again? I said, Captain, will you tell Mama? So he got on the phone and said, Miss Greer, this is Captain Crumpton. He knew her. You know, she'd been over a lot to see me. He said, Miss Greer, he said, Randy's coming home. No, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. <laughs> don't lie to me. He said, Miss Greer, I'm not alive. He said, your son's coming home. You want, me to, you want to come get him or you want me to send him? No, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> so Monday morning, they took me out through there, dressed me out, and I got to that gate. I prophesied too. Captain Felton Crumpton was by my side. I said, hear me, O ye gate. Listen, a winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap. If you faint not, I'm not saying that you're not going to have a fight, but you're going to come out every single time. I walked up to that gate, and I told it to open in Jesus' name, but the captain had a key. <laughs> I didn't care how it opened. <laughs> he hid that and then he motioned to the tower because it had electric lock too so you couldn't overpower him, take the key and go out, you know. Then he said, what did you say? What did you say? Because I was talking to that gate. And I said, I'm prophesying to it. Just get out of here. He said, wait a minute, preacher. That's what he, my nickname was. He said, preacher, look to your left. Over there, there was over 120 born again spirit-filled convicts that were members of my church. We started with five people and they were standing over there hollering, Brother Randy, God's word is true. With tears running down their cheeks, special permission from the captain to stand there. And we all squalled together and I waved and I said, I won't forget you and I didn't. I went back to that prison with special permission and went in there for weeks at a time holding revivals and seeing many hundreds come to Christ. I used to have a band that we would go in there with. Will Seagraves was my lead guitar player. He played with the Doobie Brothers, but he got born again in a Blue Oyster concert. The devil appeared to him. <laughs> and it scared the devil out of him, I'm telling you. 
He was the best lead guitar player I'd ever heard in my life. But he was born again, didn't have no sense. He's in heaven now. But anyway, I praise God. I walked through this time and I could see mamas play glass doors there, you know. And she could only come to this line because it was off limits. As soon as they said, all right, here's your paperwork. This is what you do. Here's your poll officer you're going to report to on this date, which would be tomorrow. You report to him no later than a certain time. Yes, sir. Sign this right here and all that. And so I walked through this door. When I got to that line, mama left up off that sidewalk, a little short thing, you know, and throwed both arms around my neck and her, eye, her feet were just a dangling. And, and this is the days of the... Uh, 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 what do they call it? Uh, scary matic stuff that you wear. What do you call it? Mas mascari, mascari. That that's a. Y'all uh, <laughs> y'all remember the days of the mascari? That it that if you got got wet, if it got wet, it ruined everywhere. <laughs> y'all remember them days? Now. Now, listen, now, now they put it on, you couldn't get it off with a chisel. I'm just telling the truth about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was in the days of mascara. And so mama had that stuff running down, it's falling down on her, falling, she's just a dang little short thing. And then finally, I'm consoling her, trying to get her to quieten down because, you know, all the pent-up emotions for 12 years of her son, you know, it seemed impossible. And she'd prayed many hours all night long, laying in the floor. She told me story after story, not in the sense of uh, she regretted it. She wouldn't give up. Everybody gave up on me but Mama. Everybody gave up on me but Daddy. In fact, one night, mama was squalling and praying because they thought I was dead. And I have been close to death. I did die one time. They brought me back. OD'd on drugs. Hadn't been for Bruce Denham. Y'all remember Bruce? He was military police. He'd come in this house I was at. He knew me. He took me and throwed me in a tub of ice. And that's the only thing he knew what to do to bring me back from a, a coma, a drug coma. But anyway, mama... Mama was praying and she just, she'd been carrying the burden she thought by herself so long. And she got mad about three o'clock in the morning because she'd been praying through the wee hours of the morning, sometimes all night long, go to work the next day. She got mad at my daddy. His name was Donald Hubert Greer. She got mad at him because he's in there sleeping and she's in there carrying the burden for the baby. I'm still her baby. You always mama's baby. It don't matter how big you are. But she's carrying the burden. So she got like old Popeye the sailor man. She doesn't stand it till she can't stand it no more. She went in there and flung the bedroom door open. It was shut, flipped the light on, woke him up, you know, out of his deep, deep, peaceful, restful sleep. And said to him, Hubert, how could you lay there in the bed when your baby may be dead? He said, Mama said, he said, he rose up. He wasn't a big fella, but he rose up to his fullest stature and said, oh, shut up, woman. He said, that boy's going to preach the gospel around the world, get into bed and go to sleep. My God. 
said, Daddy didn't lie. I said, Daddy didn't lie. Didn't quit, didn't give up. So finally I put Mama down, got her sat down on the concrete sidewalk and she looked up through mascara. (laughs) (laughs) And she said this, and I'm closing with these words. She said, honey, she said, the Bible is true, isn't it? I said, yes, Mama, the Bible is true. The Bible is true. To them that believe, all things are possible. This is your time. This is your year. No more procrastination. No more putting it off to tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. We're going after it right now. And everything that belongs to you, you're going to obtain it and nothing's going to stop you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the Holy Ghost and the power and the anointing of God that you've allowed us to preach under and share under. Lord, you gave me this today. Lord, and you showed me that in this time that we're in, it's going to be necessary for us to get that fighting spirit back in these days. Lord, we know we're not fighting you in a sense. We're not fighting the devil, so to speak. We're fighting the good fight of faith. We're going to stay in faith, which means we're not going to quit. We're not going to give up because there's too many people quitting. There's too many people giving up. There's too many people giving in and you're trying to resurrect this in us. Oh Lord, we're accepting the challenge in the name of Jesus. Lord, we declared that we've not yet begun to fight with the Holy Ghost and with the help of God in the name of Jesus Christ. We're going on. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Stand to your feet. I just sense we need to close with a good confession. Are you ready? We'll pray for people tomorrow night, but I I sense this. Say this. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, Father, you said in your word, word, don't be weary weary in well-doing, for in due season season, I shall reap reap if I faint not. I I will not faint. I I will not quit. I will not give up in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your power that's at work in my life. This night, Satan, in the name of Jesus, I command you, get out of my way and don't come back. In Jesus' name, I have the victory now and I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Every time you think about it, begin to praise him and glorify him because it's already yours. It is yours. You may be seated. I'm turning it to pastor. (laughs) What a treat. I wrote down two words, scary-matic and (laughs) mass-scary. What a treat. I don't know if you're aware of Dr. Bill Matthews in Minnesota, but uh, he was close with Dr. Dufresne and he was doing a meeting in the, in the uh, Caribbean area once and 
he saw this ball of fire come out from heaven, Brother Randy, way on yonder. He was meeting with pastors. There was a center aisle, and it was hot, so the doors were open so the breeze could come in. And he saw this ball of fire come down from heaven, go through the door, down the aisle. It was about five feet, like a ball, a huge ball. And uh, only he and one other person in the building saw it stood right in front of him in front of the pulpit and and Jesus stood stepped out of that ball of fire and he had been preaching on the spirit of faith to those pastors and Jesus stood stepped out of that ball of fire and looked at him and said I'm pleased that you're preaching about the spirit of faith and then he pointed his finger right in his face I mean just as close closer even than I am to you and he yelled at him and he said but preach it more and he stepped back into the ball of fire disappeared into fire and it went right back out through the up the sky and gone what he preached tonight what that's the what you, that anointing you feel that strength that you feel come into you that's the spirit of faith that's that's what Caleb said and Joshua said when they said they are bread for us their defenses departed from them let us go up at once and take the land we are well able that's the spirit of faith I love it when ministers come with the spirit of faith because it's, it, it, there's actually an impartation. I don't know if you realize that. You don't need anybody to lay hands on you. If you just listen with an open heart, something comes into you when, when, there's, when there's that spirit of faith on the preacher and that anointing on the preacher. And I so pre- I've heard stories tonight that I've never heard before. My God. Brother, you, you want to just keep going? I mean, it's only 9.09. We go till midnight if you want. My Lord. Praise God. Oh, I thank God for that precious anointing. Oh, thank God. I've heard of John Paul Jones, but I did not know that story. I'm going to hold on to that one. I'm going to have to listen to this again and get the exact quote from from what you said earlier. I have not yet begun to fight. Praise God. Hallelujah. Listen, if some sea captain can do that, that, that uh, maybe knew God a little bit, but certainly doesn't, didn't know what we knew today, what we know today, how much more can we say that? For your job, for your children, for your health, for that home you're believing for, for whatever it is that you're standing, just you, that, that, that anointing just go right into you tonight and just make sure that you start talking past tense. Brother Randy said something to me by the Holy Ghost at lunch, and, uh, and I was meditating on what he said uh, this afternoon. And brother, uh, Pastor Michael said something to me by the spirit at lunch. And I was meditating on that and sitting there quietly before the Lord. And the Lord said something to me. He said, remember when I it was the pre-incarnate Christ, it was the Lord. The Bible calls him Lord. When he met Joshua before that wall fell, remember they were, they were giants behind that wall. And, and he said, you remember I said, I have, I have given you the city. Not I will. Not I'm in the process of. I have given you the city and the mighty men thereof. In other words, I've given you the city and the giants with it. And the Lord said, I speak past tense. Faith speaks past tense. Faith speaks past tense. Calling things that be not as though they already were. And that's that spirit of faith. Praise God. That's why he said, we need to start, we need to start saying, we've got the victory. If you're facing things, you need to start saying, it's already done. It's already broken. I've got it. If you believe for that job, start saying, I've got it. Not I'm going to get it, I've got it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Do you feel that spirit of faith, Jenny? My God, I feel we could just go and run around the city and cast out devils all night long. My Lord. Hallelujah.